This sermon continues a preaching series collected around the theme of spiritual conflict. In this series, we're looking first at the three places the devil speaks in Holy Scripture, knowing that our enemy is repetitive, not creative, so we are not ignorant of his designs. The devil spoke first about God in the Garden of Eden to the woman. Did God actually say? His voice is heard again in this wisdom book of the Old Testament named Job. Here the devil speaks not to Job about God, but to God about Job. What makes Job a fascinating case study on spiritual conflict is that Job is not part of this discussion that involves him. Therefore, he doesn't have a say in the matter. We'll give thought to what it means to trust God when God leaves us in the dark with unanswered questions. We'll also ask if some spiritual conflict might be unnecessary. Finally, we'll consider how the enemy attempts to control us through possessions and what we can do to guard against this pitfall. This message preaches from Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. It is part of a preaching series about spiritual conflict. The title of this sermon, Does Job Fear God for No Reason? Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Does Job fear God for no reason? This is the voice of the devil once again in his second opportunity to speak in Holy Scripture. He asks, does Job fear God for no reason? This phrase presents in the text as a question, an inquiry. But do not be so deceived. This is not a question. It's an attack. Specifically, it's an accusation. An accusation against God and against Job that gets to the heart of spiritual conflict. Does Job fear God for no reason? Why does Job fear God? Is God worth fearing? When we read in context, Satan accuses Job of fearing God because God has blessed Job with great possessions. In other words, Job's just in it for himself, God. Job fears you because Job is blessed by you. Job fears God because he has no reason not to fear God. Walking up and down, going to and fro on the earth, Satan counted at least 11,011 blessings that must explain the reason why Job fears God. Job has seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many 
servants. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Why wouldn't a person fear God when God gives so many possessions, so much wealth, so much greatness, so many blessings? No one would trust God if all of these things are taken away. God's worthy of worship in luxury only, not in loss. He's God in gain only, but not in pain. God is merely God when we decide that he is. If God does what we want him to do for us. You see, God must need us as much as we need him. If we didn't fear him and worship him and serve him and pray to him and give to him, then God would no longer be God. And God knows this. So God purchases our praise. God bribes us. That's the lie. That's the accusation. It's the theology of the dog and the cat. The dog waits for his master to return home. The dog thinks, you love me. You feed me. You give me a place to stay and sleep. You, master, must be God. But a cat waits for his master to return home. The cat thinks, you love me. You feed me. You give me a place to stay and sleep. I must be God. This accusation of Satan demands an answer of us all. What theology do we ascribe to? Why do we fear God? Why do we worship him, a God who sometimes leaves us in the dark, a God who does not answer all of our questions, a God who doesn't do things the way we want them to be done, a God who has the power to do absolutely anything, yet allows unspeakable evils and wrongs to occur. Why do we serve him? Why do we trust God? Why do we trust him when he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Why do we trust him when our brother Lazarus was sick, but there was enough time for Jesus to come heal and prevent his demise, but Jesus delayed and Lazarus, our brother, died. And it's been long enough now his body has started to decay in that tomb. Why do we trust him? We hear these voices asking the same question in scripture. The voice of David, the voices of Mary and Martha and others would come wrestling with this question. Why did they trust God? The devil is obsessed with this question. He can't understand why anyone would. And it reveals the secret necessary for gaining victory over the devil and over all spiritual conflict. And here it is, we cannot engage in spiritual conflict without an unwavering trust in God. 
We cannot engage in spiritual conflict without an unwavering trust in God. Southside Baptist Church, we must all trust God, especially when we don't know what God is doing. We must all trust God regardless of how many possessions we do or do not have. God can give and God can take away. We must all trust God for no other reason than God is worthy of our trust. This is the key to victory in spiritual conflict. In Job, the scriptures reveal the trust of a great religious man being put to the test. Look with me again at verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The nature of this encounter and the way it is communicated to us in Holy Scripture makes it clear that the conflict begins before Job is aware of it. Job doesn't know about this meeting. We would not know about this meeting unless God revealed it in his word to us. This seems like a minor, obvious statement worth glossing over, but it is so fundamentally important to the book of Job and to our knowledge of God and to our victory through spiritual conflict. We aren't going to know everything about the conflict we are engaging in. The conflict likely began before we even knew about it. We are going to have to trust God in the midst of a lot of unknowns. The first time the devil spoke in scripture, he spoke to a human being, to Eve in the Garden of Eden. But here, in Job, humanity is not involved in the conversation. The devil is not speaking to a human being, but he is speaking to God about a human being. He's an accuser. Job is not part of this conversation. Job is left in the dark, not as a result of anything that Job has done. If anything, the text leads us to believe Job has done everything right. He rises early and continually offers burnt offerings for his children on the chance that they might have sinned and cursed God in their hearts during their feasts. In the early 1960s, the CIA coined the term plausible deniability to describe the withholding of information as a form of protection from an illegal or unpopular activity. A person would be caught up in a matter, but when asked about it, they didn't know the key details. They had plausible deniability. What is happening to Job is a form of plausible deniability, but we might call it providential deniability. God is withholding information from Job as a form of protection. God is protecting Job's witness and worship by not letting Job know about what is taking place behind the scenes. What might Job think of God in his heart if Job had known that God was the one who started the conversation about the suffering Job would endure for 37 chapters? Is it not better, perhaps, that Job doesn't know what is happening behind the scenes? Church, isn't it better for us sometimes 
that we don't know what is happening behind the scenes. We think that our trust in God would be strengthened if God would just clue us into what he's doing or what he's about to do. If God would just tell me how I'm going to suffer and why I'm going to suffer and what the outcome of that suffering will be, then, then my trust will be strong and I'll trust him and endure to the end. But in reality, if God told us how we're going to suffer and why we're going to suffer before we suffer, then most of us, most of us would question why God would allow such things to happen to us knowingly in the first place, and our trust would be eroded and not built up. God protects us in the faith by not revealing everything to us. There is an inherent fogginess to faith. Not everything is made known to us, and that is for our good. That's why it's called faith. That's why we must trust. Faith is not what we know. Faith is not what we see. Faith is what we receive. Faith is what we receive from God. His revelation, his word, and God's word is good, true, and sufficient. We don't need to know all that is happening behind the scenes. We just need what God reveals. Verse six tells us, that this meeting did not involve Job as a participant, and by this, God reveals his sovereign involvement in conversations and activities and in places that we do not know about, that we are not aware of. That's none of our business. And by the time the conflict arrives, we can know that it's been known by God first. By the time conflict arrives, we can know that it's been known by God first. We do not need to know, we may not want to know, and we do not have the capacity to know the wondrous workings of God behind the scenes. This is important to our theology concerning God's revelation, and this is essential for us to remember in any spiritual conflict. We are armed with what God gives us for the conflict, and what God gives us is not everything, but it is enough. It is enough. Verse six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now the sons of God are angels created by God to serve their creator. And on a day known to them and to God, they came to present themselves before the Lord, but there was a stranger in this particular gathering. The text says, and Satan also came among them. Notice how the sons of God are not named, but God and Satan are named. The word Lord, in all capital letters in our Bibles, is the name of God, Yahweh. This is God's personal covenant name. When the Hebrews read the scriptures, and they come upon this name, they won't speak it out of reverence for the Lord's name. Instead of saying Yahweh, they pronounce Adonai, so that they don't say the name of the Lord. The Lord is named, but also Satan is named. Satan is not called the serpent here, as he was in Eden, because God knows who he is. Satan cannot disguise himself before the Lord as he did before Eve in Eden. The Lord 
is aware of Satan's presence among the sons of God, and the Lord is not caught off guard by this or fooled by this. Both are named. Our enemy has a name. This does not make him equal with God, but instead highlights his opposition to God. Satan's name means adversary, to oppose or obstruct or accuse. And that's what the enemy does. He opposes, he obstructs, and he accuses. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of our brothers. This past Halloween, our family went to a local restaurant to eat after church. Our waitress was dressed up as a devil, red horns and a pointy red tail, a Sunday surprise. But our kids thought she was dressed up as an animal, a bull with horns and a tail. They loved the color red. They asked her laughing with excitement, are you a cow? Are you dressed up as a cow? And we said, no kids, no, we'll talk about this later. But being the children that they are, they didn't let this go. Every time the waitress would come to the table, my kids laughed and made a comment about how their waitress was dressed up as a red cow. They had never seen anything like it. Finally, I told the kids as firmly as I could to stop and that she wasn't dressed up as a cow and that they shouldn't talk about a woman dressed up as a cow even if she is. They asked, what is she dressed up as? And I said, she's dressed up as the devil. And I watched as the confusion set in on their faces. My children didn't understand why anyone would dress up as the devil. Isn't the devil the enemy of God? Yet we've so desensitized ourselves to him. We have disguised him so that we ignore his true evil intentions. God, the Lord, calls him by name in his word. Satan, adversary, opposer, accuser, from where have you come? Look at verse seven. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, in view of how this chapter began, notice what God highlights, what God features about this man, Job. God does not say to Satan, have you considered a man in the land of us whose name is Job, who has seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. God does not speak anything about Job's possessions in consideration of Job. What does God say? Verse eight, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? What does God desire for us? What is God pleased with from us? Not what we have, 
but who we are in relationship with him. Blameless, upright, God-fearers who turn away from evil. Have you considered my servant? Brothers and sisters, that's what matters the most. Are we servants of the living God? Well done, good and faithful servant. Are we servants of God? A person can have great abundance and riches and still be a servant of God. Abraham was. Job was. But most are not. For many who have great wealth become enslaved to their possessions and deceived into thinking like the devil that they must be God. Notice the conflict is centered around possessions. That's the voice of the devil. He's taking something that can so easily control a person, that can easily give the devil a foothold and a place to take over. Wisdom says and prays, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The Lord initiates Job's conflict by pointing out a man who willingly does what Satan himself refuses to do, which is to worship God. God points to a man who is his servant, Job, because God knows something about that servant. He's not controlled by possessions. Look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Again, this is not a question, it's an accusation. Satan is accusing Job of impure motives before God. As if Satan can see the heart of Job, he cannot. As if Satan knows what Job will do and why he'll do it. Satan doesn't know. Satan is not all-knowing. Our enemy is not all-knowing. Satan cannot see to the heart as God can see. He does not speak the truth, but can only lie, casting doubt, accusing. But God, God sees as far as the heart. God is all-knowing. God knows what Job will do and why Job will do it. And what we miss in this story and in our own story in conflict is that what God starts, God finishes. When God allows something to happen, God sustains us and will see us through it. God initiated Job's conflict with Satan and unknown to Job at the time, God will also finish it. God won't let Job fail. Does Job fear God for no reason? It's the same as accusing Job of only serving God for a reason, for what Job himself has to gain according to the world for what Job can get from God. But Satan wasn't listening to what God said. Look again at what God said of Job. Back up to verse eight again. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Don't miss this. The book of Job could end right here at the end of verse eight. 
God says who Job is in verse eight. God knows who Job is in verse eight. God sees who Job is in verse eight. There is none like Job on the earth. Job is a blameless and upright man. Job fears God and Job turns away from evil. And if Satan had listened and believed God's word is true, he would have never sought to put God to the test by accusing Job of being something other than what God had already said he is. Because who Job is, as God says Job is, does not change, even through 37 chapters of conflict and suffering. Church, brothers and sisters, we are who God says we are, and in Christ Jesus, that never changes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Our victory is guaranteed the moment we receive and believe who God says Christ is and who God says we are in him. Is it possible that some of the spiritual conflict we experience is a result of our own making because we do not know or fail to believe what God has already spoken? We ignore God's word. We disobey God's word. We disbelieve God's word. And by so doing, we subject our lives, our families, and our church to unnecessary spiritual conflict. Is some spiritual conflict unnecessary as a result of our disbelief, our little faith, our lack of trust? The rest of Job would have been unnecessary if the devil had believed what God said is true of Job. But the devil doesn't believe. So he continues to accuse. And that's what people who don't trust God do too. They accuse. It's the devil's work. They gossip. Gossip is the devil's work. And the devil here even accuses God. Notice the emphasized you in verse 10, speaking of God. Have you not put a hedge around him? and his house and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. This is where the mystery and questions start to really kick in for us as hearers of the word because God doesn't have to do anything. God doesn't have to allow anything. At this point in the text, still unknown to Job, God could end the discussion, rebuke Satan as the false prophet that he is, a liar who doesn't know what he's talking about, and God could cast Satan out of his presence. And church know that at any moment, God could end all spiritual conflict by casting the devil and his demons into an eternal lake of fire, and that will happen. 
But instead, and to us with great mystery, God allows there to be a verse 12 of Job chapter one. God allows this testing of Job without Job's input. Look at verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. At this point, we can only speculate about why God places all that Job has in Satan's hand. God doesn't offer an explanation, and we don't deserve an explanation either. We don't deserve to know why God allows what he allows. But what is clear is that while God subjected all of Job's possessions to Satan's schemes, God at the same time protected Job. God gave Satan permission with parameters. Satan may only touch Job's possessions, but not Job's person. If Job only serves God because God gives Job things, then God is willing to allow Satan to take away what Job has and see if Job fears God for no reason and show that God alone, without anything else, is worthy of worship and trust. I began to pray, Lord, what is this word asking of us as we hear it? We're not involved in this conversation. Job wasn't involved in this conversation. What might you be asking us, God? And perhaps the Lord would have us ask if he were to take away every single dollar that we have, if he were to take away all of our resources, our building, our things, would we still gather to worship God as a church? Specifically, would you still gather, would we still gather to worship God with this family, this body of believers? Or would we give up on Southside and go join another fellowship? I suppose we all ought to answer that question. It's another way of asking why are we here? What keeps us coming back? Is it all of the possessions? The enemy knows he can attack those things and by them gain access to our heart. If we can honestly answer that question and say that it is because of all of the possessions that we have as a church that we gather together, then we have clarity on our future. We're not a church, we're something else. Because all of these possessions can increase and decrease, come and go. God gives them to be used for his purposes and glory. God can just as quickly take them away. But the true church that Christ is building is protected and hid in Christ and has proven, it has proven to be successful even without possessions. What if God takes all of our possessions away? Which is better, to have no possessions but to have people or to have no people with great possessions? Is the church possessions or is the church People, which one is safe from the enemy? Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And this brings us to the Christ conclusion, the only conclusion that makes sense of the mystery of God's sovereignty and what God allows. For in Job, Trust 
was tested, but in Jesus, trust was perfected. Job had everything, great possessions, a great reputation, but he would lose it all unwillingly and unknowing. Jesus had everything on an even greater scale, a greater glory in his Father's heavenly presence, equality with his heavenly Father. But Jesus lost all of that, willingly and knowingly. What's the enemy going to do with that? Jesus was and is unwavering in his trust of God and empowers us as his people to do the same. And knowing God's love for the world and knowing the depths of sin in the human heart, Jesus knew what he had to do to wash away our sin, to release us, to free us of all the things that take control of us. Jesus gave up all his possessions. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He obeyed his heavenly Father unto the cross. He knowingly offered his body, his person, as a sacrificial offering for us. God did not answer Satan's request of Job. God did not stretch out God's own hand against Job. But God did do that. God did answer at a later time. And he stretched out his own hand against Jesus, his only son. God did that so that the totality of our sin might be atoned for, so that we might be free. God raised Jesus from the dead so that by faith in Jesus, we might be forgiven, so that we might answer the devil's question. Does Job fear God for no reason? Do we fear God for no reason? Well, we have a reason but it's not possessions. One reason, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.